I'm Tyler Smiley. And I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded podcast. Rooted and Grounded creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. You can find out more at rootedandgrounded.co. Why didn't we buy rootedandgrounded.com? Must be the money, Tyler. Must be the money. Uh, as it turns out, .com addresses are a lot more expensive than .co addresses. So we want to be clear, we're rootedandgrounded.co and have no affiliation with whatever on earth may be on rootedandgrounded.com. Or .org, or .xyz, or .club. you know how many options there are? .net. .net. Yeah. yeah. Well, last time we discussed the topic of Christ-centered reading of Scripture, what it means to read the Bible with Christ at the center. And one of the things that we mentioned in that previous podcast, which you could find at rootedandgrounded.co or wherever on earth you get your podcast, is that the topic of Christ and the law is enough to merit its own discussion. So I think that's a good thing for us to talk about today. I agree. You ready? Let's do it. Christ and the law. So how do these two things go together? Well, we started last time with Luke 24, and you read a little bit of that. Is there anything we need to rehash before we get into this topic from last conversation? Let's just look 24, 27, okay. just to sort of reorient ourselves here with what Jesus said. So this is on the road to Emmaus. He's talking to his disciples. And then verse 27 of chapter 24 in Luke, and beginning with Moses, all right, this is the law, these are the Pentateuch, the first five books, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus here, the after his resurrection, nearing the end of his time on earth, is saying, in Moses, in the law, there are things about himself. Something that's good. We want, to re- we want to start there w- with what Jesus said about himself and the law. And then right, that reminds us of Matthew. Yeah. Right. Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So somehow we take these two things and say, Jesus is, there are things about Jesus contained in the law. And not only that, but Jesus says himself that he didn't abolish these things, but he's fulfilled them. So what is fulfillment? So what does Tyler? it mean that Christ fulfilled uh, the law? I asked the question first, so you need to answer it. <laughs> oh, well, I think, like we talked about last time, we want to make sure that we uh, aren't dismissing the Old Testament as unimportant or irrelevant, because it's certainly not that. And some of the pushback I've gotten when I talk to people about fulfillment language, particularly those who maybe their area is Old Testament, mm-hmm. and and I'll just maybe just quote 517 when they ask me, how do you explain this? You know, And I'll say, well, Christ is the fulfillment of... The law and the prophets. Yeah, just throw Jesus's words back. I in their just kind of say it, uh, but it never seems to be sufficient enough answer for them because I, I think the the struggle is what does that mean to to fulfill then? So does it mean that everything else is outdated? Does mm. it mean uh, you know the old things are completely irrelevant? Or you know I think maybe anything like this. So fulfillment, I think we we would just say being filled up to the brim, being accomplished, being done, so that those things that were, I mean, would we say the promises of God as found in the law and the 
and the law and the prophets find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I mean, in this way, Christ then is what the law and the prophets pointed towards. And through him, his ministry, his entire ministry, including his life, he fills up what was hoped for and promised by God in the law and the prophets. So then, if he's fulfilled the law, if I read something like the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal. If he's fulfilled the law, does that have any bearing whatsoever on my life? Am I free in Christ? Like I'm free. For freedom, Christ has set me free. Am I free to now steal? There's, like, you got some good books on those shelves. I might, I might, I might want to take one of those. Don't take the top shelf. The ones to the left. No, I don't want you to take any of my books because oh, they're mine. They're yours. All right. But what? I mean, but in all seriousness, right? If Christ has fulfilled the law, what do we, what do we do with these? Well, I think we want to talk about the sacrificial system at some point. But like yeah. these ethical yeah. things that seem. Yeah to be things we would abide by. Like, how do we say at once Christ is the fulfillment of law and then tell people, yeah, but don't steal? Well, and I think you can do one of two things. When you can, you, uh, you can say, well, let me, let me back up before I say the two things. A concern I have, even with all of the goodness that's coming with what we, I think, would we'll, we'll just call sort of the gospel-centered focus, movement, emphasis on church teaching. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, this, this, which is not new, but this is kind of language that's picking up steam, is that it wants, it, it helpfully views everything through Christ right. and the good news in Christ, Yes, but it doesn't always helpfully apply things to your life every day because it wants to say, mm, basically the point of this is you could never do what was required mm -hmm. and only Christ can, which we say, okay, that's yes true. Yes and amen. Amen. Um, but then there's like, so have faith in Christ, and that's it. Nothing beyond right. that. So, I mean, that's looking... I feel like that's picking up on Paul's... where he talks about the law reveals sin. So yes. this sort of the gospel central centrality movement is really good about the law shows us our sin, shows us our depravity, shows us our need for Christ. So they really pick up on what Paul says yes. there. Yes. But you think there's more... I think there's more. The and so I think you can do one of two things at that point. I think you can either say, live this particular type of life, so apply this directly, don't take things that aren't yours, but don't hope in that for your righteousness to God. Mm -hmm. Don't hope that in these things, in doing these things, you'll find your uh, right relationship and true standing with God, because... Uh, Christ has come, and He alone brings us into righteousness. And I think both of those. I'm just thinking, if you were going to practically teach through something like that, you could you could do that. You could say, "This is a ethical implication that I think is affirmed by the New Testament. Don't take things that aren't yours." Right. Uh, and yet, also, as you practice this, don't put your hope of righteousness in those things. Put your hope of righteousness in Christ alone. Or option two, you could say, the only hope we have of being seen as righteous and not one who takes of other things from other people, as is directly prohibited by God's law, is through the righteousness of Christ, because He alone filled it up. Right. And so you, you give the gospel first, and then you say, now, in light of this, live a life that reflects who you are now in Christ. I'm very comfortable doing either one of those, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I don't think order necessarily matters to me. 
I think sometimes with preaching, it is relevant, um, and teaching Sunday school or, or any other context, it's relevant. But both of those, I think, capture the heart of of what uh, what I, how I want to see Christ and the law, particularly. We trust in Christ for His righteousness, and that His righteousness becomes ours through faith, that is granted to us as a gift. But then, and uh, we'll borrow from Gerard Manley Hopkins here. Yeah, we act in God's eyes. What in God's eyes we are? Yeah, right. We are now. We who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ act as those who are righteous. And of course, that itself is a gift of grace. Because how do we do that? Well, we do it by the Spirit. Right? The Spirit is at work in us so that we can obey the law. Let me ask you about. I want to know, ask you about another verse. All right. So. 2 Timothy 3.15. Okay. They're talking about uses of the law. Mm-hmm. So the law reveals our sin. The law shows us what it is to live a righteous life. It calls us to that. Mm-hmm. But here's Paul writing to Timothy, and he says to him, right, this is, oh, well, we'll start in 14. But okay. as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what are the sacred writings? I think it's very clearly the Old Testament was what Paul had in mind. Okay. Certainly. Yep. Uh, I think uh, there's good reason to see the New Testament as found also in this, not only the sacred writings, but also mm-hmm. the Scripture, which I think you gave a great answer to that in the last podcast. That's good, because I don't remember what it is. So go back and listen. You should go back and listen. I probably need to remember All that. You, no, not you personally. Oh, thank All you. you oh, viewers. Okay. <laughs> See, it's hard to tell. I was looking at John when I said that. Yeah. I was thinking listeners when I said it. That's very confusing, but I think they got it. Good. Hopefully they heard the you as the listener that yeah. I'm talking to. If you could just say y'all from now on. I will really say y'all, me. and I'll say you for John. That'll be good. But I think that, oh, this is fantastic that you would bring this out, John, because the scripture, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, so that even the Old Testament is able in this way to make us wise for salvation, not only in itself, though, yeah, through faith in Christ Jesus. That's right. That the law... The prophets, the writings, they're all pointing to Christ Jesus. Yeah. Which is what Jesus said himself. Yep. And so it's amazing, right, for Timothy to come with his Jewish grandmother and mother to have been raised with what we would call the Old Testament, these these sacred writings. Paul says, look to them because they're able to make you wise. So we would say that part of the role of the Old Testament, and since we're focusing on the law, we could even say part of the role of the law not just to reveal our sin and mm-hmm. show us our need, but to make us wise for salvation mm-hmm. through faith mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus. Other uses of the law? Galatians, the law is a guardian. So Galatians 3, if we, if we just spend a second on that, if there's any distinction in here. Uh, 3.24, so, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
So the law revealed our sin. Mm-hmm. It's able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It functioned as a guardian until the time of Christ. Would we still say that um, under the freedom and gospel of Christ that, you know, we say, I want to say laws, but I mean uh, laws can sound pejorative. So I'm, I want to think just the general principles that we would promote mm-hmm. as Christian life principles, mm-hmm. rooted in the gospel, under the righteousness of Christ. Okay, can, so can those types of things still function similarly, that we know that Christ is our guardian before God now, who makes us righteous for salvation, but the things that we uh, apply to people's lives or the way we, we want to encourage others to live, we stay. We say this this keeps us within the guardrails of Christian faith under mm. Christ's uh, headship. That there is still this, that we are sons in yeah. Christ, yes. we are united with Christ, that there is a, the, the principles, the law, there's yeah. something there that is preservative, and this isn't just like, this isn't just something for people before Christ, but there is some... It's revealing of God's character and His love and desire for us to protect us in some way. Yeah. Is that helpful? I think so. I think it. Uh, we have to be careful with that, not to just delve into sort of pragmatism. Like, if you, yeah. if you will follow X, Y, and Z commands, you will have a better life. I mean, certainly we would say... That may be true. May be true. For a lot of people. But there's also a truth that not lying can cause a lot of problems. Yes. Uh, if you try to live by God's ethical norms in a culture that rejects them, that's not going. That's that's going to be some tough sledding at points. So the law can't always mean do this and life will be better. That can't be. That can't be the sole motivation, right, for a right type of life. Yeah. And to see that the the goal of the law is, I mean, I think we can say this. The goal of the law, and ultimately the goal of the law in Christ, is relational. Yes. Right? This is about restoring a relationship with God. And so that's the end. The end of the law is Christ. The fulfillment of the law is Christ, and that is leading to our restored relationship with God. But so how... I guess I get to this, and people say, sort of, what does the Old Testament have to do with my life? Yeah. Right? Especially these commands. And there's some that seem like straightforward ethical commands that everyone, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't kill people, don't mm-hmm, murder. Mm-hmm. Like Generally, most societies, most sort of law-abiding people would say, those, those are good things. By and large, that's for the good of all the people in that right. society. We're, but then, sacrificial system we have to get to, but there's some things like sexual ethics. Yes. Where a lot of a lot of hand-wringing goes on, uh, which is about incest, homosexuality. So how, how do we start to deal with those things? Right? If we say they're fulfilled in Christ, why do we say... I mean, this is the common question, right? Well, why don't you... Why do you wear, you know, poly-blend clothing, but you're going to tell me that uh, incest is wrong, or you're going to tell me homosexuality is wrong. That's against God's law. Like, you can't just pick and choose. You got to be consistent. Yeah. How do you... Which we hear a lot. Yeah. 
all the time. So how do you how do you deal with that sort of issue of the law and Christ and the law? Like if we're saying some of these, right? There are these ethical commands we want to keep, but then we're going to get into the sacrificial system that we don't do. This co- these kosher laws we don't do. How how do you help? How do you talk to people through that? And obviously, it's not a short conversation. No, it's a long conversation, and most of the topics are many of many of the topics are can be enraging to people that yes. they're so personal. Absolutely. So to pick one pretty hot topic and one maybe less warm <laughs> in our culture, you'd say, um, so you're going to tell me homosexuality is wrong, but you're going to tell me that you can eat whatever you want to. You don't have to adhere to these dietary laws, as you see. A lot of barbecue Yeah. Uh, at churches. Oh, and by barbecue, we obviously mean... Pulled pork. That's right. Yeah, let's just, just you be don't clear. Mean, don't, you don't no mean, telling who our audience is. There could be people listening to this in places that think barbecuing means cooking hamburgers, mm. which is an atrocity. That, that's a whole podcast in itself. Uh, but we also eat ham at Easter, right? So, okay, so if I were to take those two, I'd say, well, the New Testament in many of these is very clear when it comes to food. Yes. Paul, Peter, both outline visions from Christ, apostolic, uh, apostol- under apostolic authority. Here's how we approach food now. Here's, uh, if it's clean in God's eyes, don't say it's unclean. Uh, for Paul, he was concerned about how eating uh, particular food offered to idols may be offensive to some. And but maybe not to others. So he gives lots of freedom in those things. And it is as much about how to help your Christian brother not stumble in that issue as it is whether or not you should or should not eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. So it's, it's pretty clear in the New Testament that these dietary regulations have changed. Hmm. You don't get that with something like homosexuality. It seems pretty clear and consistent with what you've seen from the beginning of God's law. And so, you know, Romans 1 is is clear on this thing. So I think, how do you talk to someone who's saying, well, you're just picking and choosing? I think you start with, where's the New Testament clearest Mm. on some of these topics? And let's go there. And then when the New Testament is uh, less vocal on a particular topic, then you carry on these longer conversations of figuring out, well, what does it mean that we have freedom in Christ, and how does this issue fit under one of the other clear teachings of Scripture? So our principal selection is the New Testament. Yes. Right, we want to look for the apostolic or Christ, Christ teaching or apostolic teaching on these issues and go from there. And we're clearest on the things that are clearest, and we're less clear on the things that are less clear. Yeah. And that's, that's okay. So how do those issues, how would the, if we're talking about Christ and the law, how do those things relate, those two issues in particular, how do we say, how do we see the gospel in those issues, those two laws, how do we see Christ in them? Yeah, so for for both Peter and Paul, because of the work of Christ done on our behalf, God then... um, gives us freedom in those particular areas like food and what we eat and what we don't eat. They don't, they don't see that apart from what Christ has done. 
So they can teach what they're teaching based on the work of Christ as being righteous for us. And they also see topics where they're also equally clear that because of what Christ has done and making us righteous by faith in Him before God, now live in these particular ways that have been consistently Mm. called for by God throughout the whole history of His people. And I think I'd want to add to that with, especially the food laws, there is something here about Christ's work breaking down these ethnic barriers between Jew and Gentile, that in Him, the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed, that the two may become one. And so that the dissolution of these food laws, the fulfillment of them in Christ, probably better, right? The fulfillment of them in Christ points to the fact that God's saving work is going to all people, that there's no longer this division, but there's one people of God that encompasses the earth. I think that, you know, it ties right into Christ there and his, right, this is his work. It is rooted in him, and this is why this has changed, because there has been a fundamental shift in human history. And then with sexuality, uh, you know, Paul says, what's the point of marriage? Well, it's to show us God's love for his people. Yeah. And so this God's love for his people hasn't changed. His design for marriage hasn't changed. Because this is one of the primary pictures, primary metaphors he has chosen to use. And so his love has been consistent, hasn't changed. So I think it's root. I mean, both those things are so tied up into the gospel, into who Christ is. Yeah, that's really helpful. What about the ceremonial laws? We didn't really get into that. We don't have much time. Yeah, I think Hebrews is so helpful here. Uh, just to say, the sacrificial system has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is at once our high priest. He is our sacrifice. He's the place of sacrifice. He's all the things that are entailed in the sacrificial system. Uh, And so they were pointing to something greater, and that one greater than the temple is here. And so we see all those being fulfilled in his work. His work on the cross, right? His sacrifice, sacrificial atonement, but his priestly work in heaven, uh, his continued presence with us by his spirit, that uh, whereas the temple was God's presence among his people, now by his spirit, God dwells in us yeah. and in his people. I mean, you just see, I think the New Testament, Hebrews, right? Hebrews, Revelation, so Hebrews, clear yeah. that. This sacrificial system, the sacrifice, the priest, the temple, the altar, they're all now... They were always pointing to something greater. They're always pointing to Christ. So Hebrews 9, 11 and following, when Christ appeared as high priest, verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Christ as priest, Christ as sacrifice, and the work of Christ's blood through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish. 
for our good, for us. For us and for our salvation. Yeah, isn't that a great line? Yeah. For us and for our salvation, just that historical view on what, what the work of Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And So I think when we talk about the sacrificial system, Old Testament, because that's part of the law of the Old Testament. Yes. You see Christ as the fulfillment of it, so that by his own blood, he is declared righteous, and by his blood applied to us by faith in him through his spirit, we too are counted as his sons and daughters. Would you add anything else? I mean, there's, there's so much there. And I think you know, one thing in terms of reading, reading the Old Testament, yeah. it's sort of devotionally for us as believers, as people trusting in Christ for our salvation, the details can seem tedious. Right, like why? Why is this? Why are we spending page after page after page on this sacrifice, on that ornamentation of the temple? And so, just to find uh, whether it's a helpful study Bible, a good commentary, something that can help guide you through it, and just be patient. And don't just—I think the temptation is to say, "I don't see how this is relevant to me." Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm fast forward till I get to another good story. Like, are we gonna slaughter some more people soon? Uh, like, let's get to a good story. And so to say, to find some, resu- find some helpful resources and just be patient and say, oh, like, this detail is here for a reason. And God, in his wisdom, has recorded this for us. And so just to think and to meditate and to see, with the helps, right, we talked about doing theology and community, like with the helps of study aids, with other believers, how these things are pointing to Christ and revealing things about him. So Chris Wright wrote, is written on the Old Testament, is written on mission of God. He also has written a lot on the law and the prophets and, mm-hmm. and uh, a Christian understanding of this. And in one of, his, in one of his articles, he talked about the Ten Commandments and the law. And uh, to your point, John, he said that we should, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, should not skip over the first part of that so quickly, mm. because God in that sets out clearly what it looks like to that Christ is the fulfillment of this and that in the law is gospel, that God, I am the God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt, therefore, and now you have it listed, right? So that's just as important a part as the commandments themselves. I mean, that's the foundation of what God is teaching to his people Mm. and now to us. And then we see that played out with Christ, that because of who Christ is and the righteousness we have by faith in him, therefore... And then apply the teaching, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament that we see. Very helpful. Good, bad. That's very helpful. helpful. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last comments, thoughts. Christ and the law. I think we get, that was good for twenty five minutes or so. They're gonna start thinking that that timer noise that just went off on my phone is part of like our podcast outro music or something because I I keep forgetting to silence it. I just want it to vibrate. It still amazes me how bad you are at technology, and yet you are the one producing this. I just wanted it to vibrate when it when if it buzzes. If only, only it there were a rings. way to do that. If you're listening to this and you know how to get my phone to not ring when it's on vibrate mode and the alarm is set, or the timer is set, could you just email jmorrison <laughs> at lakewoodlife.org so that he can... Know how to teach me how to do that. 
Uh, this is great. Tyler actually doesn't know where to get a podcast either online. If you want to learn more about Rooted and Grounded, you can go to rootedandgrounded.co and find other helpful articles and other helpful podcasts there. Thanks for your time, John. Thank you. Thank you.